Hi guys, welcome to the Changing Lanes High Performance Coaching and Mentoring Podcast. Changing Lanes is about getting the balance right between emotional intelligence, fitness and health, and your own personal development. Guys, I'm super excited once again to have um, an amazing strength and conditioning coach with me on this podcast, Brad Morris. Now, Brad is a professional strength and conditioning coach. I'm currently studying here in, in Deakin, Melbourne, uh, at PhD in exercise science. And it's, um, it's an, a, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Brad, for joining us. Thank you, Jose. Um, Brad, just so the our audience know a little bit about yourself, because um, I, 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 could, I could talk about you all day, mate, and especially what we just went through with, with your coaching uh, with wrestling and MMA. If you could tell the audience a bit about your journey, where it all started for you, uh, and how, you know, how, how you've, you've, you've taken on this role and move forward and, and to where you are now. Yeah, sure. I suppose a lot of it starts uh, <clears throat> just after I finished high school. I did a personal training course. Um, back then, it was a weekend course. Uh, yeah. Not really worth the paper they're printed on, yeah. but I was interested in the industry. I was interested in being stronger, uh, being fitter, and that was sort of where things started. Um, shortly after that, though, um, I became a father yeah. and um, went into a, a government job for several years there. But I had a, a real interest in strength and conditioning yeah. um, and had toyed with the idea of going to uni, but sort of had my doubts as to whether or not I could handle uni. Um, my HSC results weren't really what uh, you would expect of someone going to uni. Where were you, where were you schooling? Uh, did my schooling in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. Right. Um, so anyway, um, I by chance happened to get into um, some Japanese jiu-jitsu under by a fellow by the name of John Pedro, who yeah. was running some classes, and I just wanted to know how to defend myself. Um, I had no real background in it. I did Taekwondo for six months as a kid, but you know that doesn't really count for anything. And um, I started doing Japanese jiu-jitsu and then a little bit of boxing and kickboxing and really enjoyed the, the challenge of uh, combat sports. Right. And um, that led me on a bit of a journey. Uh, I ended up with three Australian heavyweight titles in MMA. Um, wow. I got to travel overseas and fight on some big shows. Um, ended up in the UFC. Um, unfortunately, things didn't go exactly to plan in there, but, you know... Um, Proud to say I stepped in the cage with Cain Velasquez, former heavyweight champ. Um, wow. And okay. you know, I really enjoyed the, that MMA experience yeah. overall. Uh, but towards the end of that fight career, it became apparent that I couldn't fight forever as much as I enjoyed the challenge. And I also wasn't happy with the government job that I had. Yeah. Um, and I decided to jump into uni and... Um, chase an exercise science degree, degree yeah. and at the same time um, really look into the strength and conditioning side and um, get some real qualifications there rather than just the personal training ones that I'd gotten you know, nearly 10 years earlier when I was uh, just after I turned 18. How old were you when you, got, when you decided to go to university? I was 29 when okay. I started university. Uh, I'm 40 now and mm. um, so I did a, an undergraduate degree in human movement science. Mm then went into a Master of Exercise Science, uh, majoring in Strength and Conditioning mm. um, by distance uh, through ECU in Perth. Uh, and then I went to Deakin, I did a graduate certificate, which was a preparation for my PhD, which mm. I'm currently doing now. Yeah. Um, and I'm also teaching at Deakin now as well uh, into exercise science related topics. Mm. So, 
yeah, it's been a little bit of a, of a journey. Um, along the way, whilst doing that undergraduate degree, I started um, doing some strength and conditioning uh, coaching for some local teams in the area where I grew up in the Blue Mountains, uh, as well as working with other fighters yeah. uh, who I was currently training with at the time. The work with the, the, those clubs, uh, was it voluntary work? It, well, yeah, it was. Yeah. It started out all voluntary yeah, work. It does, um, doesn't it? Well, it's an unfortunate part of the industry, but so many people want to be in strength and conditioning. Yeah. Because it can be so enjoyable. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the local club was um, voluntary. And then I got, uh, I contacted Carl Jennings from the Penrith Panthers. He was the head of strength and conditioning mm. at the time. And I just said, look, I'd love to come down and watch one of your strength and conditioning sessions. I'm doing an undergraduate degree. Could I yeah. you know, come and be a fly on the wall? And um, from that meeting, it uh, started a, a friendship with Carl down there and I ended up doing a little bit of wrestling work mm. with the Penrith Panthers, which obviously uh, tied in with my MMA background. Yeah, 100%. And um, also doing a little bit of strength and conditioning intern work for Carl, again, voluntary. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> the following year, uh, the wrestling um, stepped up a notch at the Panthers uh, and that was a, a part-time paid position. And then the following year, I got an offer from the Sydney Roosters um, to work as a strength and power coach with them uh, full-time yeah. under um, who's now the Storm head of performance, Lachlan Penfold. Okay. Um, year after that, I got an offer over to the New Zealand Warriors to work as sports science manager and strength coach over there and really enjoyed the three years over there, I found Auckland a, a great place to live. Yeah, well, that's where I was raised. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, family loved it over there as, <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, they're a tiny bit obsessed with Australia over there. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, apart from that, it, it was an awesome three years. It's that big brother, little brother syndrome. Eh? Very but, much. But I think, I think we, we just need to relax a bit, I think, you know, us Kiwis a bit. But, um, and, and predominantly still in, in that wrestling space or, or over, overall just conditioning and, and working with different sort of blocks of conditioning? Um, yeah, look, at the moment I'm working with just a handful of clients. No, um, I mean, so back, back oh, when you were with the, um, with the, the Warriors, uh, yeah, with the yeah. Warriors, it was, um, uh, sports science. So we were looking at, uh, load monitoring, um, periodization. Yeah. We were <clears throat> yearly planning cycles. I also had a big say in the strength development and strength programming. Yeah. So I'd lay all of that out for them as well. Um, and the strength side of the rehab program as well, so yeah. working hand in hand. So not with just wrestling. No, okay. no, it was a, it was a uh, wrestling was sort of a little add on. Yeah, but it's still a big part of the of the sport, isn't it? Oh, of course it is yeah. because there's combat involved. I mean, yeah. people hear of wrestling in rugby league or rugby union, and there can be a negative connotation there. Um, but ultimately, the better player can control their opponent mm. and control themselves and their kinesthetic awareness so you know understanding their movement in space and how to manipulate your opponent's body to control their movement the more effective you are mm. um, with that said though I'm definitely not a fan of uh, illegal moves like chicken wings and that sort of thing yeah. I, there's no place in either of the games for a rugby league or rugby union for that um, but wrestling uh, and wrestling techniques can definitely have a big impact on league, not just in a sense of slowing it down, um, but also speeding it up and being more effective in the way you use your body. That's right, yeah. Good stuff. What, um, what kind of philosophy do you have? Like a lot of the, 
the S and C coaches that I've that I've um, taken through podcasts have a have a certain mission statement or philosophy that they'll they'll take with them, and I guess I guess it's always evolving uh, as 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 S and C. What what are some of your philosophies that you have? Um, look, one of my favorite, and especially when I was fighting, uh, one of my favorite sayings was um, a <clears throat> glory without danger. Um, is a triumph without glory. So basically what I'm trying to say there is that if it's not a big thing, like if you're not well invested in it, um, whether you do well in it or not, isn't going to matter much. Mm. Um, so I'm constantly looking for ways to challenge myself and importantly, better myself. Mm. Um, I've spent a lot more time over the last probably five years doing a lot more reflecting than I had earlier in my career, mm. um, which is both good and bad because you realize that you've definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way, mm-hmm. but it's important to yeah. build on those, realize what you've done, um, and seek out other people in the industry to chat to mm. about that, look for mentors, and look for ways to improve. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, so... Um, that's been a big focus in the last few years for me. I've also recently gotten into uh, more meditation. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that's that reflective um, line of thinking that I've been in of late. That's good. That's good. I mean, and it gives you a bit more perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. What, now, you've, you've worked with some awesome athletes. What, uh, what, 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 in your opinion, makes a, a great athlete? Um, an athlete that goes somewhat near realizing their potential. And I say that because some of the really good um, athletes and juniors that I've worked with uh, may have blitzed the field uh, as a junior and shown some real potential. Um, and yet they haven't coupled that potential with hard work mm. and they've failed to realize that full potential that, that they had. Um, where I've seen other players who may not necessarily make uh, you know, international representative sides, but who are a really important part, especially in team sports, who are a really important part of the team mm. and the team's processes. And it's been largely based on hard work. Mm. And then you get rare athletes um, that are generational athletes. Um, I suppose Cameron Smith's probably a really good Melbourne example Mm. that he's really talented, but from all reports, he works really, really hard as Mm. well. Um, And I mean, I think think Michael Jordan falls into that uh, category as well. Well, I've shown my age a little bit there talking (laughs) about Jordan, but he was a freak of an athlete, but if you look at some of his other stats, um, when he first started in, in the NBA and some of his defensive records weren't so great, but he was willing to put the hard work in and work on the areas of his game that weren't strong to bring them up, yeah. but he continued to work on the other parts as well. And yeah. um, you know, it's one of the reasons why you know, I'd place him as one of the, the best athletes of the last 100 years. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And I think yeah. Serena Williams is probably another example of a player who's through a, a hell of a lot of hard work, has had one of the longest tennis careers mm. going. And she's also um, one of the most influential sporting figures as 
mm. uh, you know, within the last 15 years. Yeah, no, she is definitely, and she's a mum too, a brand new mum. Going back again to the athletes, you know, and, um, you know, I work with um, a lot of athletes that you, that you, you mentioned, the ones that are willing to do the hard work, and they're not necessarily the, 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 the superstars, but um, they, they realise their potential, you know, and, they, and they're, you know, they continue to work on that, uh, the stuff that needs working on. How do you, 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 you get the best out of, out of an athlete, you know, if, uh, if they're coming into your, your gym and, um, you know, they're, they're sort of pulling the good numbers, but they're not, they're not doing the, the extras uh, that they need to do. Um, they might be having conversations with the coach, you know, about attitude and, and so, so forth. How would, how would you um, get into the athlete's head and, and, and get the best out of them? Yeah, look, I think that's probably the, the biggest challenge for any S&C coach is that connection with your players. Um, and in the past, uh, I've done really well with that and I've also done terribly. Mm. Um, for a little while there, I thought that the more information I could give the players and the more I could show them the science behind it and um, things that I was interested in and that made sense to me as to why this should work and how it can help. Mm. Um, if the player is not interested in that information, it won't help them. No. If you don't connect with your players, with your athletes, you can't really help them effectively. Um, can you give us an example? Look... Um, I had one one player when I was with the the Warriors. Um, he was uh, he played for his country a couple of times. Um, wonderful player on the field. In the gym, um, he he wasn't weak by any means, but for his size and his position, I definitely thought he should have been stronger. Mm. Um, and when I first uh, arrived there, I spent some time trying to explain the science to some of the players and. And sort of take that angle of, all right, this would be really good for you for this reason. When I should have spent more time getting to know the individuals mm. and building the relationships first. Yeah. Because people aren't, or in my experience, people aren't interested in what you've got to say unless they've got some investment in you. And importantly with athletes, if you can show them that your investment in them is going to help them towards their goals. Mm. And the first thing that you've got to do is find out what their goals are. Yeah. Find out what makes them tick, what interests them and what excites them because I, f- I found out that very few of the players could give a damn about the science behind things. Yes. Um, they want to know how it makes them better or, or how it, you know, it can help them stay in their position or, or get, to a, you know, get to another level or get yeah. to the international level, whatever it might be. Um, and look, with the, the player I'm talking about, it actually took a couple of, of years, but in the end... He was coming in during his off season and doing some strength training with me. Yeah. Because I developed that relationship with him, yeah, and he now had yeah. that trust, and he believed that if I said something to him, that it was in his best interest. Yeah. And he was he still questioned me on things, but he'd also take my word for it. Yeah. So look, the, the the biggest deal is buying with the players, developing those relationships, the trust on board. Eh? Getting the trust on board and realizing that you're there to help the player, yeah. and that you, you're very much a support staff. Mm. Um, you know, the athletes are the show, mm. and you're you're just there to try and make sure that they can perform to their best. Absolutely, and enjoying it at the same time. Yeah, eh? yeah. enjoying is a big, massive factor. Isn't oh, it? Yeah. huge part of it. Yeah. You know, and if you're not enjoying seeing your players get stronger or get faster or perform better, um, you know you're in the wrong job. Absolutely. I think something else that took me a little while to realise is that as a strength coach, it's wonderful that your players get stronger. 
Mm. And, you know, I've prided myself on designing programs where I've gotten teams stronger in season, not just out of season. Yeah, we had that good conversation. And, you know, which is, I think, a, a decent achievement. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters to the players and the only thing that matters to the general manager and the board is the results. Yeah. The, the, the win or loss. Yeah. yeah. So, look, um, so now I'm far more focused in, all right, whatever I do in the gym, how does it transfer to the field? And am I spending the right amount of time on a particular uh, aspect? So, will helping a forward get 20 kilos stronger on his squat translate better on the field than helping that forward maybe maintain the strength they've got but become a little bit more explosive so that they can break the line or or make the tackle or whatever it is yeah. that's going to make a difference on the field and I, I think that was something that you know took me a little while to get my head around no that's right enough that's good now you mentioned off off air that um you 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 know you're in Germany designing apps and you've been around the world doing several things with S and Z. What does the what does the the future of strength and conditioning look like, in your opinion? Yeah, look, I think that's a really really interesting one. Uh, I think that you mentioned how people are focusing too much on the science parts of things. And look, for me, and especially as a sports scientist, I am very very interested in the science side of things. I think that um, it, it almost sounds cliched, but you know the art and coaching of, of science is is true, and the art side of it is developing those relationships and those soft skills. Um, but ultimately, I think whatever we're doing should be built on scientific foundations. Mm. Um, I, I can see technology becoming a larger and larger part of sport, which is both good and bad. Mm, of course. Um, but I think ultimately there needs to be some sort of union between great coaching and incorporating that technology mm. and, and using the data wisely and being informed by the data but not controlled by it. Mm. You just don't, don't want to take data for just data's sake, do you? No, I don't want to take data for data's sake. Mm. And I also don't want to get to the point where, for example, um, some teams may have a certain limit set on their running load for the week or a kicking load. And if a player is over that load, they might pull them off the field mm. for injury risk. Um, well, that may help minimise injury, but it may also predispose that player that they may not be quite getting enough of a stimulus mm. to... There, there's a funny window where if we don't train enough, we get injured. If we train too much, we get yeah, injured. Yeah. yeah, There's this nice little sweet spot in the middle. The tricky part is, though, is that sweet spot changes as we age, and it also depends on our training background. Mm. Um Simple example here is is if you can give your player a very good pre-season with a decent pre-season load, then the chances of them getting injured during the season is less. Mm. Um, whereas, to give you an, a, an injury example, if someone's had a minor hamstring injury, it's a grade one, um, grade one injury and they're out for a couple of weeks, 
Um, and then they come back in and they pass all of their fitness tests. But if we look at you know chronic and acute loading, if we look at their chronic loading over the last six weeks versus what they were doing in pre-season or in early um, competition season versus what they've done over the last four to six weeks, mm. they may not have done enough work to actually um, decrease their risk of re-injury when they return. Mm. Um, and that's going to be a very individual thing. Mm. But look, I think more and more teams are employing data analysts, sports scientists. If you look at both the, the AFL and the NRL, the what's often referred to now as the performance teams are rather large. You know, you may have anywhere between um, four and eight full-time employees just to manage um, what 15 years ago was managed by one person, maybe two. You know, it always fascinates me when you say that the, all, the, all that stuff because sometimes when, and especially in union, when you, you see the coaches in the coaching box and you might see... You know, six or seven staff members behind them, all on on laptops. You ever been in that position? Mm-hmm. What exactly are you guys looking at on those laptops? I'm I'm curious. I look. It's really going to depend. I know there's a bit of um GPS. To, Sometimes uh, there might be GPS uh, data that you've got there. Other times you may have um, analysts looking at um, tackle counts. It might be certain um, other indicators like um, who's played the ball prior to the next. Um, try being scored um, velocity yeah look all of the GPS stuff yeah. as far as velocity um, meters per minute is going to be another one as well um, you know it's, it's not unusual for some of the forwards to get on the field and have a really high meters per minute um, and only have a, you know a 10-15 minute interval in them and then they need to need to come off yeah so yeah it will it will it's very individual, normally team to team, what's actually being looked at, and that'll be dictated by both the head of performance and um, the head coach. They're not wearing heart rate, heart rate monitors, though, are they? Uh, look, sometimes, yeah. Okay. Um, sometimes the players will um, in the games. Um, nearly everyone now has at least the GPS yeah, at least, yeah. on, um, and depending on, like, whether it's the the newer versions, like the amount of data that they're able to throw back mm. is is huge, um, and the sensors are also being uh, becoming more and more um, adapted handling the loads. Mm. Um, recently, there was a an inertial sensor uh, released that could handle about fifteen g, uh, and often we're hitting those forces uh, and above in collisions in contact sports yeah. like league and union uh the new sensor that they're about to release will go to 200g so you know like there's the technology is definitely catching up and i think it's good from a point that we can really break the the game down um so for instance for for those that aren't uh or haven't had much to do with gps if i've got a group of forwards and I want to have a look at their game data, I could then say, all right, well, how far have they run overall? 
which can be a nice metric. So let's say they've run three and a half K in a game. Mm-hmm. All right, but then I can break it down further and say, all right, how many accelerations have they done? What's been their max speed? What was their max decelerations? How many impacts have there been or how many high end impacts have there been? So they might, might set the limit at 10 G and above, how many of that? And then you can start then comparing how that player fits in within their um, playing history as an individual, and then how that individual fits into the positional uh, aspect as well. Mm. So yeah, I mean it's it's more scrutiny on the players as well, um, which may but may you'd not have be warranted. To collect that data over time, though, wouldn't it, to get a good? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but look, most of the pro teams now have got a dedicated sports scientist or data analyst or GPS analyst that is there yeah. for yeah, all of the trainings, all of the games. Yeah. And monitoring uh, all of that data. That's right, yeah. High tech, isn't it? Very. All right, next line of questioning is I've, I've got a lot of young SNC coaches that come through my facility um, for internships, and they're, you know, they're, they're university based students. And, you know, uh, we talked earlier about how, um, you know, you, you've got to get in and do the volunteer work and, and so forth. I mean, that seems to be the common theme. With, with interns um, wanting to progress within the industry, what other bits of advice could you give um, a young SNC coach that wants, wants to break the industry and, and, and do well for themselves? Um, look at local sport and opportunities in local sport. Again, some of that may be voluntary. Um, there's a couple of different websites out there uh, that regularly advertise. Um, sportspeople.com for example uh, has a volunteer section that's normally full of um, local sporting opportunities but even approaching local sporting clubs mm-hmm. and saying look I'm, I'm doing an undergraduate degree um, I'd encourage any of the SNC coaches to go and get their level one um, ASCA yeah, qualifications yeah. while they're doing that mm-hmm. uh, uni degree uh, and say look I'd like to, to work with some of your athletes mm. uh, or some of your teams and start there. Um, and it's a great training ground mm. for the coaches mm. because very there's not many positions available even as an intern with the elite clubs because everyone wants to, to be yeah. an intern there. But the reality is most of the interns aren't going to end up with a position out of that anyway. Mm. And depending on where you're at, you may end up just doing things like collecting RPEs or helping to set up or helping to clean up. Whereas if you're working with a community-based team, you'll actually get to practice, all right, this is the strength that we want to do this week. Here's the scheduling. You know, We need to train here and here, talking to the coaches. It'll be a far more immersive experience then because at the elite level you're not going to get a say in what the players are doing mm. you'll get a look at what they're doing but how much that helps you develop as opposed to actually getting in and doing it mm. um you know i think there's a big difference i guess this is probably a bit of a segue into, into the next question what advice would you give your younger self i know you've probably done a little bit more <laughs> than you, the, the usual intern that's come out but um if yeah if you, if you had your younger self in front of you um 20 years younger maybe I don't know what, what, what would you what would you say to your younger self um I would have definitely done done uni, university earlier earlier yeah now that being said um experience 
is incredibly important. And if I've got someone uh, and I'm employing and uh, looking at an SSC coaching role and someone's come out of university with a nice degree and good marks, but hasn't got any experience yeah. versus someone that's done you know, ASCA level one or level two and has you know, a couple of years of experience, I'd rather go with the uh, ASCA yeah. qualified rather than the university qualified because experience is so important. And one of the things, so with that said though, I, I would still encourage the university route simply because it then gives you so many other options. Mm. So if you do an undergraduate degree in exercise science, then you could go on to careers in physiotherapy, PE teaching, strength and conditioning, sports science, nutrition. Um, and you know there's several roads that you can go down there um, that may interest you as you change over time. But the biggest advice I'd probably give a younger version of me, aside go to university earlier, is concentrate on building the relationships with your coaching before anything else. I was just about to say that, because um, I was going to lead into, why do you think Carl, Carl Jennings picked you? Um, one, I was persistent. Uh, I mean, that's a great quality. I sent, that's a great quality to have, isn't it? I, I did a little bit of research about Carl because I actually I went to another club, um, the rugby league club that I was doing the voluntary work for. The um, local club had some links into another Sydney club, and I, I went down there just to spend a day observing a game, and um, it wasn't a wonderful experience. So I then started looking at all right what club can I go and have a look at? I'm going to have to look into whoever the head of performance is or the head strength and conditioning coach, whatever their title might be. And so I did a bit of research and I found that um, Carl was a former powerlifter. He was also the Great Britain shot put champ. I didn't know that. Uh, he'd done a bit of boxing yeah, yeah. as well. Um, he'd uh, worked in soccer and uh, in rugby league as a strength coach. And so... Knowing all of that, I've emailed him and said, look, I'm really interested in coming down and, and watching. I've been training for you know, so long. I'm into these sports. Um, you know, and I spoke about you know, some of the things that he likes as well. And then when I went down there, I was quiet. I didn't, you know, um, I was basically a fly on the wall. And then once the session were over and the, the players was gone, I had a chat with Carl and I challenged him on some of the things he was doing in a very polite way, uh, in a respectful way, but I was looking for answers and I was also looking to see, you know, how he could help me mm. at the same at the same time. Mm. Um, and it was based off that and the persistence of, oh look, I'd like to come down and, and have a look, another look if that's all right with you. And being willing to back up what I was I was saying, but also change them in the light of research and or experience as well. Mm. And I'm still very much of that mind. I've got my beliefs about strength and conditioning, which are based on my experiences and back scientifically. Mm. But in the light of new research, I'm more than wel welcome to reflect on that and see if I am in light of the new research still in the right spot or is that new research 
not quite enough to tip the scales one way or another. I think we need to question everything. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless yeah. of who's saying it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't just be a, a yes man. You know, you've got to challenge the status quo. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that too. Um, all right, last question. What's next for you? Uh, look, finishing my PhD is next for me. Uh, I'm currently teaching at Deakin as well into a couple of different exercise science-related topics. Yeah, uh, I hope to get more students down too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and look, it's, that's been really enjoyable. I only started teaching this year um, and I've yeah, found that it was um, a lot of fun and it's also fun feeding off their enthusiasm and their energy to get out there and, and join the industry. Um, so yeah, teaching and finishing off the PhD, mm-hmm. um, and then I'd like to go back into uh, more of a sporting role, and I want to keep my hand in academia, um, but I'd definitely like to still stay in, in touch with elite sport. In, uh, in particularly Melbourne, Australia? or No, I'm happy to go anywhere to yeah. do that. I came to Melbourne to like do my PhD, uh, that was the, the whole plan, yeah. uh, fortunate enough that my wife's been really supportive and has travelled with me all over the world and uh, yeah is now you know helping me get through the PhD yeah. and then once once we've got that we'll look at where we want to go from there but yeah. it, it just opens up so many other doors absolutely yeah well we're very grateful to have you here in Melbourne right absolutely I mean and um, you know the fact that you contact the Harlequins um, to to get some some support and I was the, the bloke there that looked after the S&C programs. It was, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, you very man. much. And I'm really, really grateful to have you, have you in our corner because I'm no doubt I'll be getting you down to Harlequins um, in the off-season and trying to get uh, some of these guys back into, into shape after off-season, off should I say, or pre-season. Yeah, not a problem. We, uh, can, we can do a bit more wrestling after your yeah, session today. after my session today. <laughs> I, think, I, thought, I thought my head was going to fall <laughs> off at one stage. I was going to lose my rib cage. But um, again, Brad, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it, mate. And um, go well in the future. All right. Thank you, Jose. Thank you very much, mate.